Well, guys, happy Sunday to you. Hopefully, you are doing well. We're going to be wrapping up our series, Ben Don't Break, today with When God Provides Healing. Ben Don't Break, When God Provides Healing. And hopefully, over the last five weeks, you've been able to bend and you didn't break. And I'm sure, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I know for me, the only way that I was able to handle the situations and circumstances that I faced over the last five weeks that were outside of my control was only through the Holy Spirit's power. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, God lives in you. And and so the Holy Spirit was able to allow me to have the perspective and the peace and the joy to navigate those circumstances where I was able to bend, but I wasn't breaking. And I hope that was what happened for you over the last five weeks. So we're going to be landing the plane on this series. So if this is your first time, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to do everything that I can to catch us up so that you're not, you're, you don't feel like you're lost. And so let me go, um, let me start this way. There's a guy by the name of Jacob, and he had four wives and 12 sons. Two of the wives were sisters, Leah and Rachel. Rachel was really pretty. Leah, not so much. And so Rachel couldn't have kids. Leah could. And so Leah had several sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Judah. Judah's really important. Eventually, Rachel was able to have two sons, Joseph, and then she died in childbirth with Benjamin. So she had two. There was this tension between the brothers, between Rachel's sons and Leah's sons, to the point where Leah's sons wanted to kill Joseph because Joseph had two dreams and both dreams pointed to the fact that one day that they were going to bow to him. They didn't want that to happen. They did not want him to steal their, the birthright, the blessing. And so they decided to kill him. And then after a while, Judah had this idea of, why don't we just sell him to the traders that are coming through? And so they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. He was trafficked into Egypt. And for 13 years, he had an up and down life in Egypt. He was fully immersed in Egyptian culture. And finally, Pharaoh had these two dreams, that there was going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. No one could interpret the dreams. And so Joseph is the only one in Egypt to do it. And so Pharaoh rewards him by having him become the prime minister. He's in charge of making sure they have enough supplies to last the seven years of famine. That famine becomes widespread. It hits Canaan. And so Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to get grain in order for them to survive. He sent all but Benjamin, the youngest, because he was afraid that something would happen to him. He didn't want to lose his last son of his beloved wife, Rachel. And so the sons meet Joseph, but they didn't know that it was Joseph. Joseph does one final test because he knew who they were, but they didn't know who he was. And so he does one final test before they go to Canaan with the grain. He actually gives the money back. He puts it in their bags that they spent on the grain. Now, here's the catch. If they stayed home, they would be thieves. If they would return the money, that means they would have to bring Benjamin because Joseph put them to the test. He says, if you really are who you say you are, you would bring your brother back. And so it was a catch-22. He put them to the test. Well, they delayed. And time went by, and they ran out of grain. 
And either they go back or they starve to death. So Jacob sends them back to buy more food, but they have to bring Benjamin with them. This made Jacob incredibly uncomfortable because left up to his sons, he believed they lost Joseph. They've lost Simeon who stayed behind. And now potentially Benjamin. And when they arrived, they told Joseph's administrator, hey, we, we found this money in our bag. Listen, we didn't, we didn't steal it. We didn't take it. And so Joseph releases Simeon from prison. He was the bargaining chip. And they invited them to dinner. Now here's what freaked them all out, is that Joseph had them seated in birth order from Reuben all the way down to Benjamin. And then he provided one final test to make sure that they had changed, that they were not the same brothers who sold him into slavery. And so he had silver placed in each of their bags, and then he put his silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And then he sent his administrator to arrest Benjamin for stealing his cup. And then least expect Judah. Remember Judah? Judah was the one that stole Joseph into slavery. Well, Judah decides to step up. He decides to do something that no one really expected. He steps up, and he's willing to take Benjamin's place. He says, no, take me instead of him. Me for him. Me for him. Me for him. And then this left Joseph an emotional wreck because it seems that his brothers have changed. Now here's how Joseph could have handled this poorly. He could have maintained a healthy fear of conflict, allowing his feelings to build up so that he would be a ticking time bomb of anger. Now, how many of us in the room handle conflict that way? We avoid that person at all costs. We don't go near them. We'd we rather, we rather not be in a room with them. If we know that they're there, we decide to go to a different room or we decide to go to a different office. How about this? He, he could have talked to anyone but his brothers about the situation. He could have, he could have saw another uh, you know, assistant or administrator or someone working in the palace and say, hey, let me just tell you a story. Can you believe my brothers did that to me? Oh, man, they hated me so much. Now, how many of us handle situations that way? We're willing to talk to everybody about that one person that we should be talking to. And then we end it with, oh, bless their hearts. How about this? He, he could have stated his concerns as vaguely and general as possible. And then his brothers couldn't do anything practical to change the situation. I mean, how many of us find ourselves doing that? Like, we can't look that person in the eye. We're, we're like mumbling, or we're talking about something that doesn't make any sense, or, oh, you know, I, you know, this is, this is, this is how I, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know how I, yeah, I'm sure you know how that, yeah, I mean, like, no, we don't know what you're talking about. What are you saying? Just stop, breathe, tell us. Or, or maybe he was willing to hold on to whatever evidence he could. He had a black book of what his brothers did to him and how they were jealous of him and how they never liked him because he was Rachel's son. I mean, how many of us have a black book that we've kept because of someone has done something to us? And so we have a black book of everything that they've done. And we're holding on to that because one day we want to use it. 
Or another way that he could have handled this poorly is he could have hated his brothers. He could have just been eating himself, I mean, just, just killing himself with hatred. Well, unfortunately, these, these are ways, guys, that we are tempted to handle broken relationships. And the truth is that we cannot be right with God when we're not willing to be right with other followers of Jesus who've hurt us. Notice what John writes. He says, we love because he first loved us. The only reason why we understand what love is because of what God demonstrated through Jesus. Whomever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Guys, to forgive is to love. To forgive is to love. Now, we saw all the ways that he could have handled this negatively. Look at how he handles the situation. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. See, Judah's readiness to step in for Benjamin when he said, no, 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 take me for him, me for him. It broke Joseph because he understood that his brothers were different, that it meant that this proved that a lifetime tension with Leah's sons and Rachel's sons, it was over. That Judah, who's Leah's third oldest, was willing to take the punishment for Benjamin, Rachel's son. And so Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I'm your brother. I'm your flesh and blood. And notice the question that he asked, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Remember, he was fully immersed in Egyptian culture. He did not just talk like an Egyptian. He probably walked like an Egyptian. But not just that. They were terrified that he'd kill them. They were stunned that he was alive. And to prove it, notice what Joseph says. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. In case you doubt it, in case you don't believe it, hey, I'm the one you sold into slavery. I'm the one you sold into Egypt. But listen, do not be distressed. Don't be anxious. Don't be stressed out. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because, listen, save, listen, to save lives that God sent me ahead of you, that's why I'm here. For, for two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. He's crediting God for making this happen. He's like, listen, this is the whole reason why God sent me ahead of you is that I would save our people. 
that one day, as God promised our great-granddaddy Abraham, that the Messiah would one day come to our people and not just save our people, but save different people groups from all over the world. God did this. God allowed me to go ahead of you. He used this circumstance. He used what you did to me. He used it for his glory and for our good and for our people's good. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come to me. Don't delay. You will live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Listen, you may not make it five years. Come down here. Come down here. And Joseph's understanding that God made this happen so that his people could be saved provided a way for him to forgive his brothers. See, forgiveness made the act of generosity possible. It's all connected. Listen, when you forgive, you experience joy. And God calls us to be joyful givers. Joseph is an example of joyful giving generosity as he was willing to offer his brothers a life in Goshen. And it's like this. It didn't work before, but let's give it another shot to live together. This is what he's saying. It didn't work out before, but let's give it another shot to live together. So Joseph's brothers go back. They get their dad, and they explain that Joseph's alive. He's stunned. In fact, God gives Jacob a vision, a dream that he doesn't have to fear. Listen, you don't have to fear anything, Jacob. Listen, you're going to live 17 years in Egypt with him. And then you're going to die in Egypt. And then we're going to bury you back here. And with confidence in God and the word that Joseph was still alive, Jacob went down to Egypt with his entire family. It was 66 direct descendants. And I want you to miss this. The truth in this is that we are not promised to have an easy life, but we are promised to have a full life. The fullness comes from a relationship with God. Jacob lived a full life. And when it was Jacob's time to die, he gave a blessing to his sons. And to receive a blessing, we talked about this the first couple of weeks, to receive a blessing was a big deal. In that time, it was a huge honor. And not to get it or to lose it would be a curse. So in the Old Testament, a father would bless his son or his sons with encouragement, inheritance details, and then also this prophetic word. It was like a prediction of how their life would turn out. And notice the blessing he gives not to Joseph, not to Reuben, the oldest, not to Benjamin, the youngest, but to Judah. Notice the blessing that he gives to Judah. And that gives us all hope because no matter where we are, it's never too late. Maybe we've been doing our thing, our way for a long time. And God has been 
wooing us back to himself, drawing us from relationships to our conscious. We've been resisting it, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, enough's enough. i got to do it God's way, and it gives us hope that it's never too late. And I think people are stunned. The brothers are stunned like Judah is getting the blessing. Man, he is getting the blessing. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemy. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Listen, no matter how much infighting happens, the authority will never leave Judah. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey. My son, like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to arouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the roller's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. Who is he talking about? The Messiah. His, he will tether his donkey to a vine. His colt will be the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. What he's saying is the Messiah is going to have a prosperous kingdom. It's going to be so prosperous that grapevines are going to be in abundance. And they're going to be used as hitching posts. And then wine is going to be so abundant as water that is used to wash clothes. He's just showing how much prosperity the Messiah will bring. And then many years later, another prediction, just to just assure the people of Judah, the line of Judah, that God, not only does he make a promise, but he keeps his promise. Another reminder from Isaiah, who's a prophet from Judah's lineage, he says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding and the counsel, Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, then he will delight in the fear of the Lord and in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glory. It's all pointing to this Messiah. And then, decades after Jesus' resurrection, notice what John writes. He just assures everybody that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. See, David is the son of Jesse. And Matthew lines it all up. Notice, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zara, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abadab. Abadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And later we see that Jesus' adoptive dad, Joseph, is in King David's line. See, don't miss this. Remember the dreams of, of Joseph? See, they pointed to being saved from starvation, but the blessing of Judah pointed to being saved from sin. The dreams of Joseph pointed to being saved from starvation. The blessing of Judah pointed to being saved from sin. And then all the blessings were dispersed. Jacob eventually died. 
And there was about 70 days of mourning, about 40 days to embalm him, and then 30 days to travel and bury him in Canaan. Notice what happens. The brothers are seeing that, okay, dad's dead. What are we going to do? And they ask this question, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? The thing that kept him from killing us was dad was still alive. And what if he pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came, Joseph wept. And his brothers then came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, just like he did 17 years earlier when they had the 17 years with their dad. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Guys, I said this 17 years ago. And you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Guys, we were able to save our people. That one day the Messiah is going to come through our people. God did that. God used what you intended to harm me, and he, intended, he used it for good. And so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. See, the whole goal of the series is for us to appreciate the sovereignty of God. And that's a, that's a theological term that means that God is ultimately in control. He's ultimately in control of your life, of my life, of our life. Chip Ingram writes this. He says, the sovereignty of God is that which separates the God of the Bible from all religions, truth claims, or philosophies. When we say God is sovereign, we declare that by virtue of his creatorship over life and reality, he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and benevolent rule, that he is, in fact, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and is in absolute control of time and eternity. And this is so good. Nothing will come into my life today that he did not either allow or decree for my ultimate good. So that when things are going well, God uses it. When we are betrayed, God uses it. When we suffer, God uses it. When we experience a loss, God uses it. When we are waiting, God uses it. When we are waiting to receive relational healing, spiritual healing, God uses it. And there's, there's another truth that comes that God is sovereign. So out of this story, we see in, in the lives of Judah and Joseph that there's liberty and responsibility, that all of us in this room and those watching online, we have liberty and we have responsibility. Someone once said that they should have the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast and they should have the Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. But both of them matter, that all of us, we have liberty, like we have freedom, but then we also have responsibility, meaning that there's consequences to the decisions we make. And for some of us, we'd rather not have to deal with responsibility. But for some of us, that means that we don't do a lot. 
we're afraid to step out in faith. And for others of us, we've resisted going to God. We've used our liberty, and it hasn't gone really well. And we don't want to deal with the consequences. And so we've kind of put God off. C.S. Lewis said, our problem is not that we want too much from God. It's that we want too little. And for some of us, we're not using our liberty to go back to God. We've been trying to do this on our own. And we've been breaking instead of bending. Like Joseph, we're to trust that God is in control of our lives. And then we're supposed to use our liberty not only to trust him, but to begin living out what he commands us to do. And what he commands us to do is to forgive those who have hurt us. See, when we experience spiritual healing from God, we are able to have relational healing with those who have hurt us. And when we begin living out our faith, it allows us to become mature spiritually. Guys, we need to see the world like Joseph, who acknowledged that God made his situation happen so that people could be saved from starvation and eventually saved from their sin. And he, could, he understood that God was sovereign, that God was ultimately in control, and that gave him, that gave him the strength to forgive his brothers for what they did to him. Because he recognized that God was ultimately in control of his story. And he was able to use that to forgive his brothers. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the message today. The big truth out of the message was that you're in ultimate control of our lives. Father, you've given all of us liberty and a level of responsibility. And so, Father, I ask that for some of us who have been fighting and been resisting, surrendering to you, that, Father, you will free them from kind of doing things on their own. And, God, they will submit to you and they will trust you in your ways. Father, thank you for using all the things that happen in our lives, the good, the bad, the ugly. Thank you for doing that. Help us to be able to trust you. Father, for those who have hurt us, allow us to forgive them because we've been forgiven. Help us not to harbor any bitterness or resentment or hate because if we do, we really don't love you. So Father, show us, remind us of your love to us so that we can love and forgive other people because to forgive is to love. So help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.